exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast is all about. And I'm your host, T.W. Smith. Thank you so much for joining me and allow me to be part of your martial arts journey. You are in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world. Folks that take a great deal of care and put in a lot of sweat equity to make their craft as good as they can. In today's podcast, we're going to hear from a few who took the time and made an effort to reach out and share some of their thoughts and feelings about the program and the martial arts. The first one is titled Class in Session. It's a review over on iTunes sent on March 21st, 2018 from GC. They write, T.W. Smith does a superhuman job of researching and delivering in-depth discussions on a wide variety of topics related to the history and culture of martial arts. You can listen to this podcast purely for entertainment, and you'll certainly get some sort of benefit. But to get the most out of it, you might be better off listening in a quiet place where you can take notes. Even though it says Kung Fu in the name, he doesn't limit himself to the Chinese martial arts, and I can strongly recommend this podcast to any serious martial artist of any style. Thank you, GC. When this program began, it did strictly focus on Chinese martial arts. I was trying to keep it really close to the tightest part of my wheelhouse. But as the program continued, I continued my training and learning. It expanded from there. With the support of Dr. Ben Junkins, Dr. Paul Bowman, Ian Abernathy, Peter Constantine, Jamie Club, Ando Merzwa, these are the folks who have been encouraging and supportive through this whole process. The ones who are consistent, and I mean the folks that you're going to be looking out for in the years to come, are all listed. All you got to do is go to kungfupodcast.com forward slash agents of action. Every now and then, I'd like to take time and recognize correspondences that we receive. And most of the time, I do prefer those nowadays over on our Facebook or Twitter accounts. Or you can send a private message. That's all good. Or, of course, an email is welcome. One of the most recent emails I received was regarding Christianity and the martial arts. And to be honest with you, that particular podcast, that episode, meant a lot to me. Not just to research and share over the course of years, but it really helped me work through some things personally. And it provided me an opportunity to share some things that I know is very important and sensitive for many, many people. And I've received several correspondences and remarks regarding that particular episode, and most of them were great. There's been a couple that had questions. For example, one of our listeners commented that there were strands left in the Christianity of martial arts where I didn't tie everything together perhaps as neatly as I do in other episodes. And I wanted to make sure that I commented and recognized that I didn't tie everything together in a nice box with a bow. As I stated in the episode, I didn't want to do things that were going to persuade you or dissuade you to practicing any form of religion, but particularly in that episode, Christianity, and giving you some ideas of answering the question, can you practice martial arts, wear a gi, or a kung fu uniform, and then pull out your Bible to say your prayers? Answering that question is not up to me to do for you. However, I did want to lay down a historical platform and give you some ideas of what kind of challenges you might find when you go against the grain, as well as how can you identify religious bullies. Then lastly, including some of the components 
of what it means to practice the faith of Christianity, for example, and yet abide by tactical, strategic, and physical skills that can keep yourself safe. But how you do that, those components, that's what we would call internal kung fu. You have to figure out how to make these things work for you. We also had an interesting correspondence where a listener went over to a martial arts class at a YMCA and they had a problem with the fact that they ended up having to say a prayer during this martial arts class. And my mind was kind of split with this. First, I understand that if that's not your faith or if that's not what you wanted to practice, that certainly that could be a problem. However, if I go to a YMCA facility of any kind, whether it, and whether I'm planning to take knitting, martial arts, or play a baseball game, or rummy, I would expect to have to say a Christian-based prayer inside that facility for any activities that we might do there. The same would hold true if I went to a Buddhist facility or any other type of facility that by its initial presentation and face value tells you exactly what they're supposed to be standing for. Now you could flip that over and say, hey, here's a martial arts facility that teaches nothing but self-defense and nothing but your ability to protect yourself out in your community and environment. And three days a week for two hours, you roll around on the ground. And in my mind, that's the antithesis of the other. Certain things are found out not just to the face value of what something said, but once you get involved in it, is what they said in the front the same thing that you're going to get on the inside? And when those things come together, I think that's excellent because it puts me in decision mode. Is this what I want to do? The next correspondence is an email from Phil, and he writes, I rarely reach out to people that I don't know personally. But I wanted to say that I'm a big fan of your show. I think in terms of quality, entertainment value, and thought-provoking material, your show is not one of the best, but the best in the martial arts podcast world. I started listening to podcasts two years ago, and I needed something to listen to besides the radio during my 45-minute commute to work. It so happens that Kung Fu Podcast was the first podcast I started listening to, and after two years, it's still my favorite. Phil also states that he has a blog that he is starting and that there's not much there yet and he's working on the material. Then he continues by saying, There's a divergence going on in society where every day, athletes are achieving incredible feats of athleticism that several decades ago are considered unimaginable. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and know of people who compete in century runs. Running a hundred miles is the new marathon. Then there's the CrossFit athletes and obstacle course racers doing awesome things as well. At the other end of the spectrum is an obesity crisis and people suffering from health issues associated with modern life. Phil goes on to share his concern that too many black belts, or the equivalent of high-ranking martial artists, contribute to the obesity crisis. Which does bring up a good point. What is your standard for good health? Now, there could be many things that you might consider to be in good health. When I was much younger, it was mostly about my physique and my ability to carry out physical performances. Now that I'm much older and the, the thread's a lot thinner on the tires, it's about mostly just being able to wake up each day and not having to take ibuprofen to, uh, you know, get in and out of the shower. But 
However, I think it's important for us to consider standards for ourselves. Now, I would not suggest using the body mass index, better known as the BMI. It is ridiculously skewed all by itself. I'd highly suggest, for example, get your body fat percentages estimated. Or you can even do an easier in-home assessment, which is called the waist-to-height ratio. I'll put a link in the show notes and on the website so you can find out what you need in order to do that and where you're supposed to take the measurements at. As I had mentioned this before, I'm going to have to break out my old physiology notes and we're going to have to come up with some sort of formula for a martial arts PT test. I tell my students all the time and I tell myself all the time, I don't expect perfection. I don't need you to look like or move like a movie star or a model or even be in a champion physique competition or to qualify for the U.S. Marines or U.S. Army. But I do believe that a martial artist should consider treating and living like an athlete would with the mindset that you're always working to making yourself better or to at least should strive to be in better condition than the average couch potato for someone their age and gender. How could you have confidence that you could escape three criminals with, say, let's say, knives, if you can't sprint a hundred yards or pull your ass over a standard fence. My son and I practice climbing over a standard six-foot privacy wall in the backyard. I tell him, if you're ever confronted with multiple attackers, sprint, hit the wall as high as you can on the run, pull yourself over, and try to hit the ground running. And at 15 years old, he can get over it pretty darn quick. Then I have to get my old man rearing up there, and I don't hit it as fast as I used to or as high as I used to, but I can still get over it in less than 10 seconds, and i got to get much better than that. One of the things that I've noticed, and you're going to find for yourselves over the course of time, especially for you younger folks, is that martial artists, like any other form of vigorous training, can take its tolls. You're going to get some tweaks here or there. In fact, I'm sitting here with a knee brace on my right knee today because I got tweaked two days ago and when I was just walking out the stairs of my house, it popped just coming down the stairs. And man, that was an experience of pain that I have not had in a long time. However, I still come in. I'll get in whatever work I can get in today because not doing anything just isn't part of my programming. These days, I do more things like a rowing machine or a bike or elliptical machine or other non-impact training so it doesn't add to the impacts that I already go through just because of the nature of the things that we do. To Philip's point, I really believe that as a martial artist, you want to identify some standard for yourself and then work to keep it. Phil closes by saying he is, quote, going to start a series of blogs on the most influential martial artists today. You've established yourself as a leader in the martial arts podcast world and certainly had a positive effect on my life. I know there are thousands of other martial artists who would say the same thing." End quote. That was a good email and something that all of us need to consider as part of our regular training plan. The next email was sent from Andy and he says, Sifu, I wanted to thank you and let you know that all of your hard work with the Kung Fu Podcast has been much appreciated. As a young person, I was very involved in the martial arts. I still work out daily, but my focus in life is primarily teaching music. I take away so much from your podcast that have nothing to do with the martial arts. 
and I also take away a lot of things that are about the martial arts. But as an example, I like to look at a metaphor for teaching music. The guitar is my primary instrument. To put that into context, you talk about not being beholden to one system or style, that you are the tool, not the style. As well as you mentioned that mindset is applicable with different musical forms such as jazz, classical, country, pop, etc. Each genre has its own stylistic techniques which makes them unique and differentiates them from one or the other. Similar to the philosophies of say Aikido or Krav Maga, they are both martial arts, however the mental and technical approaches are quite different. Andy closes by saying, I want to say thank you and your efforts have paid off because this podcast is phenomenal. That is a great reminder of something I do say very consistently inside and outside the school. Actually, there's two things there. First, good martial arts training isn't just from your class time from 6 till 7 p.m. What you learn in your martial arts training, if it's something that you're really into, will carry over into many, many aspects of your life, whether it's in music, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in your fortitude to work in your business, it doesn't matter. You can find out a lot about yourself in martial arts that you may not find in other places. And the other part is, is that you, the martial artist, one of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world, you are the tool, not the style. The style is what helps shape you and mold you, helps you reflect upon who you are and who you want to be. You give your style and system that you're approaching your best each and every time you practice it. And when it's time for you to practice a different style or a system or a different philosophy of training, give it your best. Because if you half-ass it, then that's all you can expect in return. The more you can learn, digest, and then express, that is what makes you a good martial artist. In the same way, in my mind as a metaphor, a sharpening stone isn't what makes you good with a knife. It's what you use to make a sharp knife. You are the blade. The style is the stone. You rub against it, work it out to take out the rough spots. Make sure you're smooth, sharper, and stronger each and every day of practice. Along the lines of physical conditioning that we were talking about earlier, in physiology, there are many things that we might measure for what was called transference. Does a performance improvement in this area lead to a performance improvement in that area? For example, does better ping-pong play lead to better tennis play or better endurance on a bike immediately transfer over to being a better runner? That would be the transference of physical skills or physical performance which is different than when you're looking at the transference of understanding because you are what you're trying to understand in the process of learning something. So when you're working in one area, can it either directly improve your skills or understanding in another? In our systems of training, we call this the circular path or the circular understanding where you can work on, for example, your bakwa. And when you get around the circle and you return to, for let's say, example, your hopgar lama pi system, that is better because there are components of the Bakwa theories that can help you express your Hopgar better. Another example is a longtime student of mine who is also a music teacher and his name is Daniel. Daniel is an incredibly gifted 
guitar player and teacher. Over the course of time, he has told me he's taken many of the things he has learned from me in the martial arts and metaphorically transferred that when he is working with new guitar students. So when I'm teaching him basic techniques and then how to put it into a combination and then how to apply it and things like that, he translates that into things like learning one technique as a note, learning combinations of things or putting them together perhaps in a small set is a chord. When you put a couple of chords together, you might have a small sequence like a pad drill or an application drill or a flow drill. That's what we might call a small song. You go through the song, you adjust the tempo. Maybe it's one, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. You go through and you adjust these, and that helps you better understand at a different level, changing the same sort of mechanics. You adjust based on what you're doing well and not doing well. Then you make double sure that you check the two instrument harmony. I believe the karateka will say that you have the lower kata, the upper kata, and then you put the two kata together. In the Chinese martial arts, what they will say is that the lower everything below your belly button is a priority over the upper, everything above your belly button. And then eventually, those two things become one harmony. Then you work that until it moves without thought. Your lower body has to be worked till it can play with every note of the upper body, whether that's in short steps, hip transfers for power striking, flipping the hips for distance or angles. Oftentimes I'll do a seminar and I'll do one that is titled Every Hand Has a Distance. And what that means is that every technique has a distance that it is better suited for. But that distance is judged by your feet, not by your hands. So that when you have the notes for the upper body, let's say for example vertical and horizontal hammer strikes, then you combine that with the lower instruments through drills until they have harmony with your footwork in every direction and every practice distance for that technique. The notes combine into chords, the chords combine into small songs, and all of a sudden you have a fighting form or a fighting drill that's about five to seven combinations of techniques with a closing, which is your escape. You adjust the tempo back and forth until you've learned it so deep in your motor cortex you don't even have to think about it. A good example happened just a couple of days ago. I corrected a student who was throwing a three-strike combination. The student looked at me and said, how did you know that? You weren't even looking down here. I told him it's because I heard the same tempo each and every time and that I knew that he had one long hand and two short hands. So the tempo can't be bam, bam, bam. That's three long hands, three three-quarter notes. I need a three-quarter note, a half note, and then a quarter note, and that's how I want those strikes to come out. Bam, bam, bam. Within a couple of minutes, he adjusted the tempo, it looked better, his power was better, and it sounded right. Another skill that has helped me is the transference of skills in dance, both physically and mentally. The only dance I've ever really practiced is the West Coast Swing. Hanshi Doug Perry's talked a lot and is a champion shag dancer. One of the things that you will find if you practice one of these slotted type of dances is the amount of work that is taken in footwork drills. You also have to improve your tactile sensitivity. What is the other person doing? Where are they? Leading and following. Are you clear in the message that you're trying to send and communicate or are you being ambiguous? 
perhaps one of the most important components of it is that you have to keep moving. The dance does not stop. you got three minutes. Whether you screw it up or not, you pick up with what you got and you keep going. You can also think of it like this. We talk a lot about in practicing our martial arts that we go through progression. Compliant versus uncompliant training partners. If we can't get it close to right with someone who is compliant and willing to work with us, how are we going to do when someone is uncompliant? One other skill that I developed that I did not have was the mechanical method to breaking down speed. You have these eight things you need to do, and to be honest with you, that's actually a short list, in three seconds. What you will find in dance, just like realistic combative flow training, is that three seconds is a very long time. Another metaphorical tool that is excellent for helping you enhance your martial arts is cooking. Good martial arts is just like making good cooking oils. You got to have a good base, the oil. You got to have a good environment, preferably like a glass jar, or a place to work and train. You also need to find good ingredients, preferably the best that you can find in your area. Those would be the same as your techniques and your conditioning. You must develop good understanding. You have to know what you're trying to make or what you're trying to do. Without a good understanding, you can waste a lot of time, waste good ingredients, you can waste a good base, or worse, create an illusion for yourself because you'll end up making poor assessments of how things work because you have a poor understanding of the theories behind it. Anytime you're making good oils, you've got to have regular agitation. You've got to shake it up occasionally, mix it up. That's where your pad drills, different partner types, getting thrown down and getting back up, those are all regular parts of good agitation, and they help you improve. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, there's no rush. You've got to have good soaking time. Good oils cannot be rushed. You can't cuss at it, threaten it, or beg it to saturate faster. It's going to move at its own pace, naturally, just like you're going to learn and just like you're going to apply throughout the course of your martial arts training. So three things that I use regularly in my martial arts training and teaching as conveying understanding and skills is understanding music, changing tempos, changing rhythms, all the skills that are listed that you develop when you learn how to dance, as well as sensitivities and a mindset that you've got to keep moving. Then lastly, good cooking. As I bring this episode to a close, I want to let you know that I'm bringing together a timeline of some of my pictures back in the early 90s and some of the videos of my early career so that you all can look at it. I occasionally pull those out because several of you have asked about them. And then I also want to make sure I announce that in the next episode, we're going to be featuring Agent of Action, Peter Costerdine. There's going to be a lot of fantastic information in this next episode. I'll be recording that soon. Thank you so much for joining me and, again, including me as part of your martial arts journey. Get the most out of your practice. Do the best you can. I'd love to hear from you, whether that's on our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or send me an email by going to KungFuPodcast.com. Take care, and I'll be talking with you real soon.